0: So last week in Genesis 4 at the beginning, uh, we saw a story of sibling rivalry gone bad to the extreme. Sibling rivalry is, is a real thing, and it goes back to the beginning. These were actually the first siblings. And so you had Cain and you had Abel, as we saw in the story, these two brothers, sons of Adam and Eve. And in the accounts, it said that uh, in the course of time, these two brothers Brought two different offerings to the Lord. And God had positive regard for Abel's offering, and he did not have that positive regard for Cain's offering. We talked about some of the reasons proposed for that. Was it because Abel brought his best? And he, he did. You could tell he had a heart that wanted to bring his best for God. Uh, was it because he brought an animal sacrifice instead of uh, produce you know, from the ground like Cain brought? And that might be the case uh, if God had directed them to do that because it points ahead to Christ as the ultimate sacrifice. That could be the case. But I think that even if Cain had brought the exact same uh, physical sacrifice uh, to the Lord as Abel, I think God would not have had regard for it. And that's because, as we see in, in the book of Hebrews, the element that was missing from Cain ultimately was faith. And that Cain did not bring that sacrifice with a heart of, of faith, of trust, of dependence upon the Lord God. And what a reminder to us that no matter what we do, if you're coming to church, uh, you're tithing, all these different things, uh, if you don't have personal faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't count for anything. All these other things can be good, but the ultimate thing is, is faith. We are saved by faith alone. We're saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ and we receive that through faith alone. Then we saw that Cain became envious. God tried to intervene and to caution Cain about what he saw that Cain was about to do. Uh, But Cain chose uh, the path that his heart was set upon of anger and murder and he took Abel out into the field and he murdered him. So the first uh, murder that happened in human history and God punished Cain sending him away to live as a wanderer so that's the first part of Genesis chapter 4 and we are going to pick up here in verse 17 and we're going to read and finish up uh, chapter 4 talking about that today 17 Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch when he built a city he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Ered fathered Mehujal, and Mehujal followed Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah, and Adah bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal and he was the father of all those who played the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal, Cain, and he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal, Cain, was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth also a son was born And he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You look at a passage like this. You know, sometimes uh, there are these passages that we tend to uh, kind of skip over. What do you do with a passage like this? What is this trying to tell us? I mean, one of the things as we look at this section of Scripture, we see two different lines, uh, two different, uh, I mean, lines of descendants that are coming from uh, Adam and Eve. Of course, they have more children. It tells us that in chapter 5, and we can infer that even from this. Uh, but it talks first about this line of Cain, their firstborn. Well, I think the firstborn, he's going to be the one to, to make the parents the most proud. And he's the one to carry on uh, the, the family name, the promises, and all this. Uh, But that wasn't to be. He had disqualified himself by his actions. He had been cursed and sent out to be a wanderer. And so the first thing we see in this message is that the line of Cain continued in their rebellion against God. We see this as Cain, it says he he knows his wife, they bear an offspring, and as we look at the record and we see the things that are happening, these are not all good things that are happening. There's plenty of things here we see that that there's uh, degeneration going. There's rebellion against God that is happening. Before we get into this, let's uh, address an issue that maybe you're thinking. A lot of people wonder about this. Uh, In verse 17, it says, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. Now, of course, when it talks about Cain knew his wife, uh, again, like Adam knew Eve, uh, this is not just knowing about somebody. This is a kind of intimate knowing that results in a child being born that again only happens between a uh, biological man and a biological woman coming together in this way. And so uh, it talks about the children that they have and a big question people often say is, Cain, uh, his his wife here, where does his wife come from? What's the deal? Because it mentions that there's Adam and Eve and they have uh, Cain and they have Abel. Now Abel's dead, uh, but now Cain uh, gets married. And so people wonder, what does this mean? Is, is this all you know, symbolic, and we shouldn't worry about it too much? Is the Bible in error? Uh, I think both of those things are not true. We see from the New Testament, they view these things as literally happening, and these as real people. Scripture is, is not in error about this. And so again, we have the question of where did Cain get his wife? So one of the things that we have to, to recognize, is that although so far it is basically just mentioned specifically uh, Cain and Abel, uh, we do know that Adam and Eve had lots more kids. And we get to chapter 5, it's going to say they had many other sons and daughters too. And also there's clues in there that uh, Seth is born when Adam is about 100, when he's 130 years old. And so if Seth is born as a replacement for Abel, uh, this whole account of uh, the the murder of Abel may have happened... um, you know, uh, again, when Adam was like 130. So uh, these guys could have been what to us would be very old, but we're going to see that the early humans, according to Scripture, had different lifespans, and so uh, the, it was different uh, than our biology that we are now. So by this time, there could have been lots and lots of kids that were produced by Adam and Eve. If you think about this, in a 100-plus more years, you can have a lot of kids if you do the math. And so there's even, uh, yeah, there's, there's quite a few. There's uh, some outside of scripture, Jewish legends that talk about uh, that they may have had like 60 kids. I think it's at least that or even more. And of course, one thing to realize as well, they may have 60 or even more if you think about the math of this. And of course, one thing to realize too is that, well, technically they were the first homeschool family. So there is that. <laughs> So lots of kids, so okay, you have the possibility here. So the uh, just straight out answer is that in, well, the only real options are that Cain married one of his sisters, or theoretically, because time had gone by and other people would have had kids uh, too, uh, could have been another close relative. And a lot of people think, well, how, how can that be? Are not there problems with that? Well, here's a few things to consider. First of all, there really was no other option. This is just how it needed to be. We know from scripture that Adam and Eve are the first uh, parents of all humanity. God didn't make another batch on the side. We all trace back to Adam and Eve, and that's important. uh, There's this unity of the human race. We're all connected, we're all descendants from him. Uh, mankind is literally Adam kind, and we trace from him, and that's why uh, we also bear the consequence of his rebellion. Acts seventeen twenty six tells us, and he God made from one man Adam every nation of mankind to live on the face of the, to live on all the face of the earth. And in Genesis three twenty, it says the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So they all trace back to Adam and Eve. There was not like a separate, you know, creation of people on the side. Another thing we have to realize is at the beginning here, this was not prohibited by God like it would be later on. Later on, actually, you know, uh, thousands of years later, when you get to Moses and the Mosaic Law Code, this would be prohibited. And God had definite reasons for that. Uh, but you didn't have that law laid down from the beginning, and so uh, they were not violating God's law at this time. Also, I think we need to realize that in all likelihood, uh, the genetics were different early on. And we'll talk about this more a little bit next week with the longer lifespans, uh, but I th- believe there was something different about their genetics and the genetic purity that uh, early on did not would not result in uh, the harmful, you know, effects of inbreeding that would happen today, and the reasons why that's something that that should not happen. But I remember uh, back in the days when I was a youth pastor, and I was talking about this with a, a bunch of high school teens, and somebody had this question of, you know, where Cain's wife come from, and I told them that answer, and you know, some of the the kids were like, Ugh, you know, that's gross, and you know, okay, I get it. Uh, But a thought came to me and I I said this, I said, okay, think about this. But if you're going to say, well, I'm not going to believe the Bible because I don't like this. Well, what is the other option? Because think about this. If you don't believe the Bible, it probably means you believe in evolution. And if evolution is true, that means that you have these lower life forms. And I don't even think this is possible. But uh, you've lower life forms that gradually, you know, evolved into higher life forms. And the way it works is that uh, one offspring would have some, you know, mutation which would put them up into the higher category. So at some point, you would have all these non-humans, okay, they're they're below being, qualifying as a human, and then you would have the very first human that finally evolves enough that he crosses the line into what we would consider human. Well, where did that human get somebody to mate with? The only option there is that human is mating with a non-human. So I ask you, which is more gross? <laughs> so, where Cain got his wife. In this, message, in this section, we also see a description of cultural development. In the line of Cain, we do see cultural development that is described in uh, these, these verses. And it talks about, uh, one, that was a father of those who dwell in tents and, and livestock. Uh, another who was the father of those who play the uh, lyre and the Pipe, so musical instruments being created. Uh, one that was the forger of instruments of bronze and iron. So you see these things of uh, civilization being developed, of uh, technology being developed, uh, community being developed. And so I want to start, I'm starting here with something that's kind of uh, at least a, a positive thing. At least neutral, but also kind of positive. And when we see some of these things, I don't think it's saying that uh, you know our musical instruments are, are evil because they're the line of Cain. That's not what it's saying. But this is a sign of God's common grace. And what we mean by common grace is that God is gives His, his goodness and His help to mankind. That's uh, not always just through Christians. Now, through Christians or believers in the Old Testament, uh, God will give the ultimate uh, things that we need, relationship with God. And, but God can be at work in some ways through unbelievers as well. And so you see this technology being developed. And this should be a reminder to us that there are things that we can praise God for that were developed by people that maybe are living in rebellion against God that maybe there's a medicine or a procedure that you take that saves your life that is not administered to you by somebody that even acknowledges the Lord or invented by somebody that, that, that doesn't um, you know, believe in Jesus Christ. But we know it's still God working through these people to bring these, these good things uh, to the world in some ways. So technology, medicine, we can look through it and be thankful that God is still able to do some of these positive things uh, even through people that are they're pushing him away and in rebellion to him. So that's uh, one thing. Um, we also need to be reminded that technology we say technology it's not just it doesn't have to have a circuit board in it to be technology. Okay tents and musical instruments and the wheel and fire this all of the different forms of, of technology. But they can be used for good purposes or they can be used for evil purposes. That doesn't mean that all forms of technology are absolutely neutral. Some may have a more of a propensity for abuse. Uh, but to realize that it, there can, uh, they can be used in a direction of good or they can be used in a direction of evil. And we can think about that both with these type of technologies, uh, forging things from bronze and iron, that can be great. You can also make weapons to use to, to kill people uh, and, use, and, and murder. And in our world today, the same thing is true. There's, okay, nuclear technology uh, that can be put to to great positive uses, and it can also be put to to horrible uses. Uh, Computers, the internet, smartphones, things that we have that can be used for a lot of great purposes, and I'd like to say hi to people watching this uh, right now through the video camera and through the internet. And so there's a lot of positive uh, purposes that these type of technologies can be used for. And there's a lot of people that are also enslaved to pornography because of uh, technology. So things can be used for good or for evil. AI is a big thing right now in that development and could be some possible good uses for that. And then eventually uh, it turns into Skynet and they release the Terminators. So there's that to look forward to too. So we see cultural development, but in the line of Cain we also see cultural depravity we see rebellion against God we see pushing away from him and we see humanity getting I think worse and worse so in one way we can be improving with technology and we tend to think well that makes us better as a society but even if we're improving with better smartphones and better devices but if we are moving away from God and obedience to him we're actually getting worse and worse where it really matters. And so we see a few examples of this in this passage. Uh, we see that Cain, uh, he, he founds this city, and he names it after his son. You know, so he has this pride and this legacy. God had cursed him and told him to be a wanderer. And so instead, Cain says, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to found a city, and I'm going I'm to do that. So Cain builds a city in defiance of his curse. So again, he's rebelling against the Lord. We also see one of these descendants, Lamech, who, wow, this guy, quite a few things. We see one is that Lamech violates God's design for marriage by taking two wives. Now, the issue is not necessarily two wives, but it's two wives at the same time. That's the the real issue. Uh, we do know that death ends uh, marriage, and so you can remarry after that. But uh, Lamech here had two wives at the same time. And God's design was shown with uh, Adam and Eve. So you have one man, one woman that come together. And this uh what's meant to be a lifelong commitment, union, covenant together. Uh, but Lamech is the first guy to start to you know, build a harem that he's going to acquire for himself uh, multiple wives so he's the first bigamist. Bigamy means having two wives, By uh, Sometimes we talk about uh, polygamy. Poly means multiple. So you could be, have two wives or, or more wives uh, to be a polygamist. Sometimes I see people they put things online and they say, well, you Christians that say that you know, there's only one type of biblical marriage, look at all these different things the Bible talks about. Well, the Bible describes other things that happened, But that doesn't mean the Bible approves of those things. There's many, many things that the Bible describes that happened, but it's more, it's a warning. It's saying, look how uh, humanity is messed up in rebellion against him. And so, again, this is the line of Cain. They're in rebellion against God, and this is an example of this by throwing off God's plan for marriage and, uh, well, him having two marriages going at the same time with two different women. One thing I think is also helpful to point out is that, recognize that even in polygamy, and again, this is not right, it was still two marriages and those marriages were each between one man and one woman. Okay, so it's not like the two wives were married to each other. If you had all three married together, that would be called polyamory. Uh, But even in this, it was still, back then, it was still each marriage was understood to be a man and a woman. But this was definitely not uh, how Lamech was doing it, how it was meant to be. Then we also see him, his little song here, bragging about, uh, to his wives here, about the killing that he did. Let me read again verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, he says, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. So he's bragging. I killed a man. What did he kill him for? Uh, for wounding me. Now wait a second, okay, wounding someone I mean, that's that's bad, but killing them, okay, your response is w- way a bigger deal than what happened to you. So he's upping it. He's like, you insult me a little, I kill you. And then he says, it's not just, it th- looks like there's there's more than one here, a young man for striking me. And whether that's the same person or or multiple. And he says, if Cain's revenge is 70-fold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. So Lamech here, he's the... Uh, original gangster, and he, in not a good way, uh, and he, you can see that in these actions and his boasting about it, we see that Lamech was prideful, vengeful, and ruthless with, a, I think, a disdain for human life. He wasn't valuing it. Instead, he assumed that he had the personal right to kill without it being delegated to him from the Lord. He was bragging about it, showing his pride, and again, upping the ante, escalating the violence. That's one of the things about violence is always, it escalates. Uh, he didn't want just even payback, but he wanted even more, to suffer 77 times as much. That's why later on in Scripture, when it talks about, uh, in the Old Testament law code, and it talks about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and we think, oh, that's kind of brutal. But realize what it was doing, it, is, it was placing a limit on the type of punishment that could happen. And when you have people saying, I'm going to kill you for giving me a wound, uh, the Lord was saying, no, the, the punishment should be appropriate for what the crime is. So in Cain, we see depravity. We see a rejection of God taking place, rebellion against him. But then there's another offspring that it talks about in the last two verses. And so in these verses, we see that God started a new line in Seth that would lead to the redemption of mankind. Verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So he's a replacement for him to to Eve as she was mourning. And Seth also... To Sethos was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So God gave Seth to replace Abel. God's plan to bring someone from the seed of Eve, the seed of the woman, that would eventually crush the serpent, the seed of the serpent, was not going to be frustrated. Because God... Abel was killed. Cain had fallen into sin. God gave a a new seed, a new descendant that was going to start a new line. And we look what happens in Scripture is that Seth's line would ultimately lead to Noah, who as we see in the next uh, weeks over the summer, as things get worse and worse with humanity, God will eventually bring judgment upon the world. Uh, But through Noah and his family, uh, a, a remnant of humanity will be saved. But Noah's not the ultimate hero. He's not the ultimate one that would crush the serpent. That would be one day when the ultimate seed comes. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who is both God and man. And by his death on the cross and his resurrection and his victory, uh, will crush Satan forever. One last thing we see is that in Seth's line, it says, uh, that they began to call upon the name of the Lord. It finishes at the time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So you read into this. This is worship. This is having faith in the Lord, dependence on God. Instead of living for their own pride, they were living for the, the, the honor and the glory of God himself and calling out to him. The line of Seth, as opposed to the line of Cain. They're ones that focused on the Lord. So as we wrap this up and we prepare for communion, I have two practical questions I want to ask you. Two personal applications. And I want you to think about these. Are you living for the good life or the God life? See, all this technology, all this cultural development from the the line of Cain, and these things can be good, but you also, you get the impression that having rejected God, they were living for the goods in this world. And there are some things in this world that we can enjoy and we can appreciate if we acknowledge God as the, the ultimate author of these things and we seek to give him honor and have those in the right place. But so many people, because they don't have a higher purpose in this life, all they can focus on is the good life having the good job, the good reputation, Facebook image, nice, shiny, happy family, Uh, make sure you have the right boat or camper or vehicles, the right things you do for vacation, whatever it might be, they're living for the good life here and now because that's all they have. Are you living for that? Because if you are, you're never going to fill up that empty hole in your heart. And you were made for so much more than just that. And those things, even if you had the best life there is, it only exists for a short little bit of time, and then we're done. And if you die without a Savior and go before God like we all will to answer for your life, and if we are all sinners, and to stand before God without a Savior, without a mediator, without Jesus Christ who died and took your place and you are saved because of him, All of those, everything that you have experienced in this good life is nothing compared to the eternity to come, which you will be missing out on and instead receiving eternity of condemnation in hell. No paycheck, no boat, no uh, Facebook profile can make up for that. What are you really living for? Is it the good life or it is the God life? And if you realize that you're living in the wrong direction, that you're trying to fill your heart, you're living for all the things just of this world, then the section question especially comes in and is very important. Do you call upon the name of the Lord? Have you put your trust in the Lord for your salvation? And to see this passage and this calling upon the name of the Lord and I have to think of what is said later on in the New Testament in the book of Romans in chapter 10. It says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is Lord. Keep that in mind. Jesus is Lord. It's not just some generic God that's out there. It's, this is about Jesus. Jesus. And it says for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses, confessing our sin, confessing him as Lord and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. It doesn't matter. It's not like there's one type of humanity that's automatically saved and another that isn't. One that can't come to the Lord. All all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on who? On all who call on him. Then it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, that's talking about Jesus, will, not maybe, will be saved. It's not something you just do once and you forget about it. Calling on the name of the Lord is something you start and we keep calling upon him. We keep depending on him for our salvation, even as it is locked in place. Our hearts now call upon him. And so as believers, we gather together here to worship and we continue to call upon him depending on him. If you have never called upon the Lord for your salvation, I pray that you would. We, again, we are not the heroes of the story. Uh, We are are Cain in the line of Cain. We have sinned deep in our hearts, but Jesus came to save sinners. Won't you please call upon him today? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. Uh, We thank you for your deep love. Thank you for the grace that you bestow upon us in this world, your common grace, and especially the saving grace that is available through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, may we as people, may we treasure you. May we live not for the good life, but for the God life, ultimately. And Lord, may everyone here call upon your name as Savior and as Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that anyone that is here that has not done that yet, they would realize the emptiness of their life. They would realize that the future that they would have for eternity without you is terrible. And may you work in their heart so that they would turn from their sin, their rebellion, and that they would turn to Jesus Christ, who stands eager and ready to embrace them and to give them complete forgiveness because he has paid it all already on the cross. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.